Well, hey, I want to, I'm Pastor Jimmy Nyman. Uh, I want to say how honored I am to be here uh, with you. Um, I, I have a heart for the kingdom of God. And so my desire, like, I, I, I used to drive through Reading. I'm going to be honest, I'm going off script here, very off script. I, I, when I used to drive through Reading uh, once in a while, when I would have to for my work, when I was uh, working in a furniture business, and I would, you know, either pick up items or deliver items, and... Um, I would drive through wedding and it just felt a spirit of confusion like over the streets. Like, like some of your streets need Jesus. I don't mean, I don't mean, this, I don't mean the paving. I mean the directions. Like, but uh, I, all jokes aside, I, I, th- I felt like that. And I, I believe there is going to be an outpouring of great clarity in this region about a generation that's been significantly confused. And I believe you're going to be a part of that. I believe you're going to be a significant part of bringing clarity. And uh, when I moved to Lebanon, you know, Lebanon, Lebanon was a place where we were driving, actually pre-launch, I would drive through Lebanon and I would notice like building facades that looked like they came from the 1970s and maybe early 1990s and there hadn't been an update since, I'm in 2015 and I'm like, rust everywhere, buildings dilapidated. And I said, why are you sending me here? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart when I was talking to an intercessor who'd been praying for Lebanon for years. Uh, you know, he's, she said, you know, why are you coming to Lebanon? And I said, the Lord told me there is a cry that's come up from Lebanon. I'm sending you there to answer that cry. What if Grace Church is God's answer to the cry of a hungry people? When I say Grace Church, I don't mean grace the organization. I mean grace the you. You're, you're the answer for a hungry generation as you are filled up uh, with the Spirit of God or doing what He's called you to do. So this, 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 this idea of wells is so important. Now, you know, before I get going here, I just want to honor uh, Pastors Ray and Nancy and their investment. Listen, I, Lydia and I pioneered a church. We know what it takes to do this. I think, I think if you're able to pull it off, you make it look easy and I coach about a, a bunch of people who thought it was easier than it was, and it's hard. And so they put their heart, their soul, their very life uh, into this. And of course, I want to honor, uh, you know, pa- Pastors Vern and Alicia, because it's hard to follow someone else's footsteps. If you've never done it, I, I, I know it's probably hard to wrap your mind around but those are big shoes that are hard to fill. And, and the, the potential of going another direction is its own challenge, right? And so I, I said all that to say, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage you first to support New Vision. Think about this. Imagine I had a, a bullseye back there and I drew an arrow and I, I could put it in the bullseye, right? And then I come over here and I do the same thing. I'm hitting the bullseye. Now the trajectory of those is two different trajectories, but they both hit the bullseye. I would encourage you to see new vision with people who are walking with God, like Vernon and Alicia are, are not trying to take you off course of what God's doing, but to take you on the new trajectory so that your impact continues. Uh, Change your world, right? Your impact continues for another, you know, three decades or whenever Jesus comes, five decades, I don't know what it's going to be, but I want to encourage you to embrace that and support them because it's hard to do it. And 
when we have difficulty, the best thing to do is not talk to each other about it. It's to go to them and say, hey, I'm a little bothered by this change and give them a chance to explain why it's changing. There's almost always a great what behind the why. And if you ask, you'll, if you seek, you shall find. <laughs> now, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is if I was Ray and Nancy, I just walked into a great community of people. Y'all are so friendly, so welcoming, so loving. Yeah, come on, give yourself a, you know, like you love Jesus. And, and uh, I remember when I visited here, when Vern was teaching one time uh, at the, before he was the pastor here, I told Vern, I said, this church is more like Lifeway than probably any other church. Like they couldn't be more like us. Like you're inheriting something that is, frankly, you're getting it too easy in my opinion. But anyway... <laughs> But I think if I was Ray and Nancy, uh, I would miss you all. I would miss the people here. Think about it. You were their community for decades. You are their people. And now they're suffering for Jesus in Florida. I know, but, <laughs> but, 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 but hear me out here. Like that being in a fun place doesn't change the need for quality relationships. It would mean so much, I'm sure, to them if you would reach out to them through notes of encouragement uh, phone calls, text messages, however you, however you know how to connect with them and just encourage them in this. Again, they have blood, sweat, tears, their very life here. And then on top of that, when you go into a retirement transition, a sense of purposefulness that you've carried for decades transitions, and that's also hard. I bet all of you could get a, a passage of scripture, a word from the Lord, and send that to them and totally bomb them with some love. You know, today, three months from now, six months from now, and just let them know they're not forgotten. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome, awesome, okay. Well, I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do something. We're, we pray a lot, so Vern will pray for us, Lydia will pray for us, I'm gonna pray for you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus taught a parable, right, of the seed and the sower, and the sower goes out to sow seed the seed is consistent. The difference is the soil of the heart. So I'm aware, as I talk today, as I teach, each one of you, like my, the seeds are going to come out of my mouth in the form of the Word of God, but your heart response to it has so much to do with what's going on in your life, and you've been hurt, and you've got hardness, and so it just doesn't land, or, or you've, you're shallow because... Uh, you know, you're, there's no depth in you. It's like, yeah, I like Jesus. I'm going to look completely like the world and have no, like, it's, for the wells to be dug, we have to deal with the soil, right? A well is in the ground and the ground is your heart. And if God's going to have an outpouring here of some kind, the paving the way is going to happen in your inner man. And so I'm going to invite us to pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to plow the ground of our heart, to dig it in, right? So that we don't get the hard soil or the shallow soil or the one that's got the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches and just a whole bunch of distractions choking it out. I, I, how many of you want to have the soil that produces some 30, some 60, some 100 fold? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, I'm in the right place. Good, because there's no point in talking if the seed's going to go bouncing, right? So, so can we invite the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work of plowing of turning over the fallow ground so we can receive it. Could, could I invite you to do that? Could I ask you to invite you to a responsive prayer with me? Say some, pray something like this with me. Say, God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I invite you, as the word comes forth, that you would turn over the soil of my heart and that it would bear much fruit. 
and over this year that you would water it and that you would bring in the harvest in my life, in our city, in our region, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for that. So I want to set the stage for a passage of scripture I'm about to look at with you. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's been preaching and teaching, and he's told the disciples that he's about to go. And it's the night that he's going to be taken. And uh, he invites the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, at least uh, Peter, James, and John. He invites three of them to come pray with him. Uh, And so he's in this place. And he goes off and he prays and he comes back, okay? Now, I want you to understand the bigger context of what's about to happen. A couple things. Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified. We sang about that, right, this morning? He knows that he is going to be resurrected. But more importantly, he knows he's about to leave and fully invest the advancement of the kingdom of God into his disciples. Now, as you hear this, Don't think history and think about them. I want you to think about he's invested the kingdom of God into you and to me. That's a a massive trust from the Lord. And so he knows this is about to happen. He knows that they're about to experience uh, uh, an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit in an upper room where 120 people are going to get blasted by the grace of God, get blasted by the power of God. They're going to be filled with power from on high, and they're going to go out and and become literally world changers. And I know changing the world is important to you, but changing the world doesn't happen until it starts in you. And so I, I want you to get the context of what's happening here. So he's been praying, and here's what Matthew chapter 26, verse 40 through 41 says. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch and pray. He was trying to teach them something that was gonna set them up for the rest of their ministry And I think if the enemy of our souls wants to do anything, he wants to keep us out of the presence of God personally to bind up the release of the presence of God regionally. All right, so you, like, what's a region? I want a regional outpouring. What does that even mean? Is that a map coordinate? No, it's all the people in a region who are touched and impacted. So we talk about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit regionally. We're talking about personal people that Jesus died for, that he loves. That sketchy person walking down the inner city of Reading that you see that's probably coming off some uh, uh, either alcohol or, or a, a high binge from the previous evening. And they look disheveled or maybe they're literally possessed. You know, he loves them. And he needs a people like he would represent him to those messy, messed up people. In the church, we have to fall in love with the last, the least, and the lost. And so, uh, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Guys, you're going to be tempted. Your spirit is willing. Your flesh is weak. And you're going to be tempted. Pray that you not enter 
and a temptation. So I get the pray part, right? We all understand prayer. I, I thought about coming here today. I'm going to teach you about prayer. And you're all going to go, we all pray. Today, I'm going to teach you about effective prayer because there's a world of difference, right? You can talk to God. And I think most of you in this room do that. I don't even have a prayer life. I bet if you get in a crisis situation, you've sure figured out those lob a prayer up, you know, and hope it hits the mark and that God answers. Like we understand that kind of prayer. So we understand the prayer part. So I don't want to talk about mostly about that. I want to talk to you for a moment about watching and what does it mean? And I'll talk about both of these here in just a minute. When Jesus says, watch, like what does he mean by that, right? What are we watching for or looking for anyway? Um, how does it help in dealing with temptation? Like what is, what's the connection? Because he connected it. And then what are we being tempted toward or away from? So I want to illustrate this with a story that happened to me. In 1999, Lydia and I were building our first house. Uh, they had excavated out the found, uh, the where the basement would go, the basement walls were in, they were about to rough in the mechanicals. And, and so uh, they told me they're gonna drill the well that day. I came and saw the builder at the job site. And I said, well, how do they find that water anyway? Like, how do they know where to put the well? It was just a, it was a, it was an honest, curious question. Oh, there's this guy that will come in from the drilling company. He'll bring out this dousing rod and walk around your property wherever it points down to. That's where they drill the well. I said, not on my property. I said, I don't even know what that is. Like, how do they do that? And so at the time, I'm like, I don't know if that's witchcraft. I don't know if it's divination. I know it ain't happening on my property. He said, well, you can tell us where to drill, but if you miss it, you'll have to pay for the, that drill and the redrill. Okay, there's a cost to my faith right now, right? And so I said, so I remembered the story uh, where Elisha was with some kings out in a valley, and they had no water, and everybody was getting really thirsty, and they're about to go to war. And so they could complain to Elisha, and Elisha the prophet says, make this valley full of ditches, and though it doesn't rain, and though there is no flood, yet these, these ditches will be filled with water in the morning. So I was like, the Lord found water for Elisha, he'll find water for me. And so I go pacing all over this property. I'm praying in the spirit, I'm praying in tongues, I'm like, you know, just waiting on the Lord. What I'm waiting for in that moment is direction, and so I'm pacing. And I'm looking around and I'm waiting to sense that connection with the Holy Spirit. I, I, then I sense this kind of a knowing and I feel drawn to this one place. I didn't hear a word. I just felt a significant connection with a spot on the ground. And I had this thing rise up at me. Believe me, this was not premeditated. I'm not saying I was taken over. I was partnering, but I was in it. You know, I was in this flow and I see this thing and I point right here. I claim 39 gallons a minute of water right here. And to which my builder goes, ha! <laughs> 39 gallons? He said, 39 gallons? I don't, that house down there has like three gallons. They got 1.5 up there. If you get anywhere near that, you should be thankful. And I said, 39 gallons, pal. And so I go off to work. And he, he said, okay, I want to say something about this guy. He's a, he was a brother in the Lord. He was a Christian. We were just building a relationship. He was new to Jimmy Nyman. And he's thinking, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. I go to work. And you know how it goes, right? When you stand in faith on something, you're in that moment. I'm driving to work and I'm like, was that guy? Because I'm out of the moment now. I'm no longer in it. How many know what I'm talking about? We ain't in that moment anymore. Was that God? And so I'm in this moment where I'm like, I'm wondering if this is God. And then I get to work, right? It's midday. They've been drilling for half the day. And around, I don't know, 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., they call me and they say, yeah, we're at 200 feet, no water. What do you want to do? 
You know, in that moment, right? When you're in that moment, you're in a faith crisis. I'm at the, when I say crisis, I don't mean a major, but you're at a crossroads of a decision you're about to make. One that's either going to see the thing through or the decision that's going to give up. And this is what happens to a lot of our prayer lives, right? I'm literally drilling a literal well. How about wells of revival? And so I, he calls me and says, we're at 200 feet. We found no water. What do you want us to do? And I'm remembering him saying, you have to pay for this one and the other one. So I'm like, you know, we're a poor couple, man. I'm like, poor. Anyway, and so I said, uh, I said, uh, but rich in spirit. So I said, um, I, I, I said to him, keep drilling. There's water there. And then I hung up the phone. And I was like, oh, God, please let there be water there. I was all confident in his face. And then when he can't see me, I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, but, a, but a couple hours later, they called me back. And he said, uh, I, the way the tone in his voice told me everything. He says, you're not going to believe this. I said, I literally said, before he could finish, I said, yes, I, yes, I am. And he said, I think we found about 40 gallons a minute here. And I said, I either got a bonus gallon or their process isn't real refined. I'll go with bonus gallon. Anyway, because that's the God we serve, right? Um, let's talk for a minute. When you think about revival, what is possible, right? What's possible to the world what was possible at best was three gallons a minute. To God, what was possible was 13 times that. I, I think God wants to do 10 times more in our world than we're experiencing right now. Maybe 100 times, but I'm just, <laughs> we get 10 times more, we can shoot for the, the next rung there, right? But, um, When I think about revival, or I think about outpouring, there was a blueprint handed to us in the first century church, right? 120 people get into an upper room, seek the face of God, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and out of that experience, they begin to preach the gospel with authority, with kindness, with tenderness, and with power and transform their world. When I see a lot of people online, because that's usually where I see them, representing Christ, they're not, they're anything but kind. They're sure, my theology is the right theology. That other person is a heretic. Uh, you know, the world is worldly, and I don't like the world, they're big sinners. And I'm like, you need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, man. Like, People don't change because of good theology. I'm going to be the first to tell you. Vern knows I love the word. I'm a doctrine nut. Sound doctrine never changed anybody's life unless you accept that sound doctrine is the lifestyle and the ways of Jesus Christ. And even with that, like if I go give people right theology, but they never encounter God, they've had an intellectual conversion. They've not had a spirit, soul, and body handover. And that's what God wants to do. And they said, maybe you're in this room today, and that's you. Like, when you talk about encountering God, what do you mean by that? There is a place in the presence and power of God. Like, when you hear us talk about our stories, Vern's, mine, when I talk to my children or my family, I realize the Lord's like, you realize they only understand. They're taking your story and dialing it down by 80% because their experience 
isn't that. And there's a heart cry in me right now for my children who are adults, 20 to 29, and I got five of them and grandchildren. And Lydia and I look at them and weep going, God, pour out your spirit on this generation. They're not the way they are because they're stupid or whatever. They're deceived on one hand, and it's because they haven't experienced God in a significant way on the other hand. We need to quit judging the messes out there and ask God to pour out his spirit on them because Jesus is really good at cleaning up messes. That's what he did. Go on, you come to a prostitute, kick her demons out, and she's a disciple of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, that's Jesus. Holiness, right? Jesus comes to a table, he sits and has dinner. A woman comes in, cries all over his feet, and whatever, the Pharisees are judging him. Even the disciples were kind of judging him. And, and uh, this, this man thinks in his mind, right? How would you like to be with Jesus? And you're the guy thinking, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. You know you're in trouble, right? You thought it. He looked right at you and says this. And, and, he, says, and he talks about her sins and whatever holiness is bringing that Jesus to that kind of person. Are you following? Holiness is never us walking around as a judgmental culture. If you think so, you literally aren't reading the same book or looking at the same Jesus. So the the blueprint for us in the church was established in the first century. And, you know, my builder had a blueprint. And, you know, a blueprint is a plan, right, the, all the contractors stick to as they build something. Like, could you imagine if the blueprint changed every day? You're bringing in one blueprint, and, and you come, and you're, you're, they're building according to this plan, and then all of a sudden you're coming in like, no, nah, I don't want that there. Let's change that, and now let's get a new blueprint and do that. And like, they can't work with that. And James calls us when we pray, right? He warns us to pray with faith, without doubting. If we don't, we're like a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. It's like the person changing the blueprint. I believe God wants to do this today. Nah, I think he changed his mind. And listen, I say this to you not as one who's arrived. I have my own double-mindedness that I'm confronting on a regular basis, okay? So with humility, I approach you with this, but we need to get honest about double-mindedness if we want to see what God's, see God fully uh, build it out. And so I believe God has a plan. God had a plan for my well, right? The builder's plan was three gallons. God's plan was 39. With the builder, this was impossible. With God, all things are possible, right? And so I'll unpack this a little bit. But Jesus, I feel like Jesus, when he talked about watch and pray, we're watching for God's blueprint. We're watching, even Moses, when he built the tabernacle, right? Build according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain, right? There's a, there's a picture. And for you're new to all this Bible stuff, you can catch up in the Bible. It's all there. I'm not trying to run ahead. I just, short period of time and a lot of content. So, uh, but I think Jesus was saying to the disciples when he came back and found them sleeping, hey guys, God has a plan for your life and the devil has a plan for your life. Keep your eyes on God's plan. Pray according, according to God's plan, not the devil, so you're not tempted. Listen, I think the great temptation that he's telling them isn't to fall into some kind of sin. It's straying from his plan for your life. Even when we're, like a person leaves a, uh, what, leaves a, a healthy marriage and ends up in an adulterous affair, 
That's not the worst part of what happened. The worst part of what happened is like the arrow trajectories, right? And in fact, they're not even hitting the target. They're shooting way off. Their trajectory changed, and they're missing the target for the life. That is the nature of sin. It means to miss the mark, miss the target. Does that make sense? Man, how many of you, you don't want to miss, like, I know. I can look at your faces. I want to make you raise your hands. I won't do all that to you. Like, you don't want, I don't, there's not a person alive that doesn't want to discover their purpose and lay hold of it. Paul talked about, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I believe that's true of you. And we want to be careful that we're not. And so he says, pray that you not enter into temptation. I think the thing we're being tempted right now in the context of wells is we get tempted into missing the move of God for our lives, our families, our city and region for short-sighted living, entertainment, money, Pick your thing, and there's so much more. And I recognize money, entertainment, and all those things, if engineered right, could serve the purpose of God. So I don't think those things are evil of themselves. It's the focus of why we do what we do. That is the driving force for that. And so I want to change watch and pray into a different phrase for you. Jesus said watch and pray. I want to call it see and agree see and agree, and uh, where we see what God is doing, and we agree with God, and we need to position ourselves to see life and what's possible in this life as God sees it, so we can discern the difference between God's blueprint and plan for our life versus the devil's or just our flesh. Now, when we talk about wells of revival, right, that means something different. Like, when we think about seeing, I need to see what, what an outpouring of the Spirit looks like the God in this generation. This has been said by so many people, and it is so true. And even the people that make the statements, when I launched Lifeway, we have like haze and lights, and like smoke. You call it smoke. It's not smoke. It's haze, actually. It's oil-based. You can't choke on it. Everybody says, I'm coughing from it. You literally can't. Um, it's psychological. That cough is in your head. But, uh, but they'll see this, and then they say, if you have that, if you have... I literally saw a post on social media. If you have smoke machines uh, or a replacement for the glory of God. I brought this to my friend, Barry Whistler, who's been in ministry for a long time. And I said, this person, it was a, we both knew the person. He said, he said to me one time, you realize the first artificial smoke was in the temple of Moses at the altar of incense, right? <laughs> I'm like, no. You know, the first artificial lights was the menorah with the candlelight lights and whatever reflecting in that room, right? No, I didn't think about that. You see, we have a tendency, right? The old thing looks at what the new thing is doing and judges it. They just, we just like, we have to guard ourselves because the older you get, the more that is true. And people say, well, why do you need that? Uh, a couple reasons. We want to allow creative arts to express themselves. They have gifts. You realize the arts, the reason they're not in the church is because they're out there in the world because we didn't make a place for them. I didn't hear a good amen on that, but that's true. Yeah, it's, 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 you may not like it, but it's true. All right, so that's the first reason. The second reason is we have a lot of online people. Um, your online experience looks way more amazing for them because that's the only way they experience it when the lights get an effect on them for that. I, my eyes are not even open like 90% of the time in worship. It isn't for me. It's mostly not for the people in the room. And, and I have people coming to our church. We are a church that's intent 
on reaching the lost, and shall I say, so should you be. There's no such thing in Jesus Christ's mind as a me, myself, and I faith. There's always outreach in his mind. And when they come in, I had a Jehovah Witness man come in, and he was powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit. By the way, all that haze and weird stuff was going on that a lot of people don't like. And then he comes up to me at the end of the service. He's a big, strapping, muscular Latino guy with like the most perfect beard I'd ever seen in my life. I'm like, do you comb that thing like three hours a day? And I'm just jealous I couldn't grow one like that. And um, he's, he's bigger. He comes up. And he's t- I didn't, when he's approaching me, I was like, oh, he looks menacing. As he gets closer, I see tears running down his face. And I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? And he said, in the music today, I felt this. I don't know what to call it. He felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that what that is? I've never felt that before in my life. My marriage is a mess. Whatever. He just talked to me about all his life problems. I was able to minister to him. If you're, in our world, if our music isn't good and if the other things aren't good, when people come in, people who don't know how to worship, they don't know how to take that. All they hear is bad music. Do you follow me? And so we have a tendency in one generation to judge the next move. Uh, Vern and I would have lived through the generation. I got filled with the Holy Spirit pre the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto in 1990, whatever that was, four, whenever that happened. And I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in like 91. And then this new move, I was judging the new move because I didn't get it because my move didn't do that. And I was only two years before it. None of you ever done that, right? And um, I'm saying... What if God wants to do is different? The Wesleyan revival and the Finney's revival was marked by deep repentance, holiness type movements. They measured certain things differently. You know, you have Cane Ridge. I could walk you through. Revival history is filled with this. All of them were preceded by a hungry people asking God to move. I wonder if there's some hungry people here today. And, and so it means a lot of different things. And we need to see and agree with God about what's coming. So the title of my message today is Agreeing with God. I want to give you three actions and then three guiding questions today that you can ask yourself to ensure that you're praying and agreeing with God's plan and listen, potential for your life because my, the builder's potential for me was three gallons a minute, right? Well, we're going to call him the devil even though he's a good friend of mine. Uh, his potential was, was to, I gotta, I gotta, if I make it to the end, <laughs> to my notes, then I'll... I'll tell you another great story about him. It's, he's the better guy and I'm the devil But in that story. But uh, let's pretend like he represents the devil. The devil's got, or the, has got three gallons a minute for your life. God's got 39 gallons a minute. Okay, the difference between what the devil has for us or the world and what God has is our potential. And there's a potential here, but potential doesn't automatically get fulfilled because you confess and claim promises. And I'll talk about that here in just a second. And so that's just what we want to do. So number one, I want to encourage you, exercise faith in God's word. And the question we're asking when we exercise faith in God's word, as we read it, as we study, as we meditate on it, is what is possible in your situation? What is possible in your situation? I love the fact I saw a post somewhere. Did you guys used to have expect miracles over? Was it here? Yes. So expect miracles. I love that you had that as a motto in your church. And here's why. You are declaring what is possible with God. And you had a call to expect it as a normal part of your relationship with him. Shouldn't that be the way it is? 
And, and so here's the thing. The, the way a lot of people use the Bible is some take the Bible. There's certain segments of the church that take the Bible and they view it as history, right? This is what happened with Moses and whatever. And in the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, you know, King David. Okay, now we get in the New Testament, Jesus, John, yeah, John the Baptist and, and uh, the apostles, then the early church. We look at it as history. Then there's a segment for the Word of Faith movement. I know your church, at least Ray, would have had his foundations in that, and so did I. And so I know, I know all the blessings of that movement and all the pains of it. And there's a lot of blessings. So there's a massive baby in that bathwater. But one of the dangers of it is, so don't throw the baby out, is what I'm saying. Uh, keep the baby. Throw out the dirty water. And so here's some of the dirty water. The dirty water is sometimes we look at the Bible and we go through every verse and we see God making a promise to someone else. And then we see that as a guarantee for our life. I think that's an inappropriate use of the scriptures. And frankly, you know, if you try to confess and claim and some people say blab and grab, but but get a hold of those verses for your life and do it, you know you're hit or miss on it, right? Nobody's 100% on that. If you are, please come talk to me after the service and disciple me. But anyway, uh, but I, I found it's not, it's not the way um, the way it is. And so we claim promises that were given to others. Let me give you an example. Like the jailer, Paul the Apostle leads a jailer uh, to Jesus Christ after the doors fling open. He's about to kill himself. Leads him to Christ. Don't kill yourself. He invites him, the jailer invites them over for dinner. He preaches the gospel. The man gets saved. Him and his whole household are baptized. And Paul says, you and your whole household will be saved. And then people got lost children. I got children that, you know, get errant sometimes. And I'm like, we claim that, right? We'll go, you know, this, it was good for them. It's good for me. And, and I, I, again, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying God didn't give you a book so you could avoid relationship with him and treat him like a vending machine in the sky. What do I want for today? Uh, you know, like that's not what he's doing. What he's, what he's offered you is a relationship. So you could see the Bible as a book of history. You could see it as a book of guarantee, or you could see it as a book of possibility. I look at the Bible and I say, if he's ever done it before, he can do it again. And I want to have conversations with him around what he wants to do now based upon what he has already done. Do you, are you following that? How's your, how you, how y'all doing? Yeah. Um, you're almost as bad as the people in Lebanon where you make these faces like, and I'm like, do they love it or hate it? I don't know what to do with that. So, um, so, uh, I am sure we can look at all is done in relationship with people, miracles, and promises, and see those as possibilities, okay? Now, that's where I started in the well situation, right? I saw that God did it for Elisha, Elisha, but I didn't assume he would do it for me. I went from seeing what he did to having a conversation about it. God, he's saying this, well, what are you saying? We used to have a statement, and Lydia's dad used to taught me a phrase of, you know, that's what they say, but what do you say? That's what they say, but what do you say? Because the world's going to have opinions. It's going to mess with your faith. And so that's what they say. But what do you say about this? And then I prayed to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit energizes my heart. I feel like I'm supposed to do something. I went through insecurity with it, but I went for it. And, and uh, I started by believing God can find water for me because I saw it in his word. So we want to start by believing the word. But I want to say this. Can, God can find water with me. Can is a possibility, not a guarantee. 
Uh, and let me illustrate this with a story from my life. I had a, my, my brother-in-law and I were playing half-court basketball one day, barefoot, on Macadam. How many know that's just not bright? And we're not any good at basketball. And so uh, he, Steve goes to do a layup and comes down. He lands in this pit around uh, the basketball, you know, one of the pole coming down from the goal. He lands his foot in there and falls over. And you hear this. Let me tell you, is a nasty sound on a basketball. So I was like, oh, my word, what just happened? So he's like, ah, he's laying on the ground. He's crying. He's in pain. His ankle is all swelled up. It's huge. And I'm like, oh, my word, it's purple and it's red and whatever. And I'm like, hey, Lydia, I got my wife and her, his, his wife. So let's pray for Steve right now. And, and so, Lord, we know you can heal. We ask in Jesus' name that you heal his ankle. And nothing happened. Now, I was taking everything I knew from the scriptures and believing that God wanted to do that. And so I went to do it and nothing happened. So they, Lydia and uh, my sister-in-law leave. I step away. I back up from the situation. Steve's just rolling around in pain. He's got like that, that cold sweat kind of, I am hurting right now, bad thing. And I backed up and I said, Lord, I don't understand. Like, I'm kind of frustrated. Why won't you heal him? And now I was connecting with the Holy Spirit over it, God over it. And I heard him say, and now when I say I heard him say, because if you're new to hearing, I'll talk about it in a second. When you're new to hearing, that sounds like we heard a voice. I didn't hear a voice. I had this impression, but it was clear um, that I just heard him say, I will heal him. And so I responded back. What do I do? I heard, go over to Steve. I go over to Steve. He said, you know, and so I'm looking at him. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled right now because nothing happened. So I kneel down and I said, and he said, and I felt like Holy Spirit, put your, put your, gently put your hand right there. Now you, I know it sounds weird why he said right there, but I just kind of knew where there was like I did with the well. I lightly put my fingers on his ankle and the Lord said, command this ankle to line up with the word of God. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this ankle to line up with the word of God. While my eyes are closed, I feel him move his foot out from under me. He goes, man, I'm healed. I look at his ankle, and what was huge was just normal. It went from huge to normal. And I was like, are you? And he stood up. He stood up to take a walk. He's like, ah. And like he had a little pain left. And he said, no, I'm positive. I said, are you sure? Be careful, dude. He goes, I am positive I'm healed. And he walked, and he was, in fact, completely healed. Um, What happened between the two stories? There's a difference between praying for what you know God can do without the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I say the leading, just ask. I don't mean, don't make it hard. Like, I'm waiting to be led, I'm gonna feel this. No, I didn't feel, I had no feelings. I had, literally when I prayed for him, I felt nothing. It was a whole faith experience. I've, ha I've had encounters with the Holy Spirit where I felt all kinds of power on me. This wasn't that, this is totally the opposite. The, but the, 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 defining, the defining moment uh, for this was Praying, about, praying without being led versus being led, which leads to my next action for you. Um, ask God to reveal his will, right? So when you're, I, I want you to think about bigger, I want you to start with your family, start with yourself, start with those breakthroughs you need, but, but start, have these conversations, ask God to reveal his will. And the guiding question for you with this is, what will God do in your situation? I know what he can do, but what will he do? So, you know, this was important for Jesus, and it should be important for us too. In John chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, Jesus himself said, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner, for the Father loves the Son 
and shows him all things that he himself does and will show him greater works than these that you uh, may marvel. And you guys, okay, that's cool. Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't just go, you know, I'm just given authority. I don't talk to the Father. I, I, I hope you get a picture. If you don't get anything out of this, what's gonna bring revival to a region, what's gonna unstop wells is when we stop living independently of God and start having lots of relationship conversations about what he wants to do and then act on it. So for many people, though, when I say this, you think, yeah, that's cool for Jesus. I'm not an intergalactic apostle. That's, that's cool for that, and it's cool for you. I want you to know something, by the way. I, I see myself as extraordinarily ordinary. Okay, you say, no, I don't believe you. No, really. Like, I feel like Amos when he said, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I am living the way a spirit-filled and a spirit-led Christian should live, which should give you hope. That I, following the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit is not for the spiritually elite, it's for all of God's children. Right. right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a sheep, you hear his voice. And so, Here's what Jesus, so for many people, the topic of hearing God or seeing things in the Spirit's hard or it's painful because they don't believe they can. And according to your faith, it will be to you. But what if you could just change your faith that Jesus actually keeps his word? In John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So when we ask God to reveal things to us, we're saying, show us, speak to us. I don't care if he does it in a dream, a vision, an impression, an angel, or even if he just leads you to a passage of scripture and you, it just comes alive and you know, oh, he's talking to me through that. Here, here's what I really want to say and encourage your heart. So please hear this. Remember we talked about the soil? How's your soil doing right now? Are you able to receive the seed? You want it to bear fruit, you need to receive the seed. And your soil's got to be ready. I want to encourage your heart. The Holy Spirit is phenomenally good at leading you in a way that you get it. Well, my, this other friend of mine sees angels and talks about this and whatever. Friend, I, I mean, I've had some experiences with God. I'm mostly an impression level guy. You know, like, oh, I, I think the Lord's doing this. And he just kind of confirms it. It becomes clear. And I've gotten where I, I've got years of this, so I got confidence in it. But listen, at some point, you just got to start. You got to start trying to act on the things you believe he's saying and figure that out. Mm, I don't know if that was God. I, I, journal, what was in my mind when I got that? Okay, what was going on here? How surrendered was I? Was I just wanting to do my thing? Was I looking for confirmation bias? I asked, Lord, do you want me to buy this million-dollar property? I don't have the money for it, but do you want me to buy that? And the Lord's like, you know, like he could, but you got to be careful of confirmation bias when you... I'm looking for it. And then you got to be able to carry the opposite of that. Well, if I want it, God must not. That's another <laughs> ditch that we can fall into. The good news is he's really good at this. And I want to encourage you to trust him to do it. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead here because I'll never get to where I need to get. Um, when it comes to seeing and agreeing with God, like let's say you want to see revival in your region Shoot, you just want to see your kids saved. You want to see a, a, a person whose body is broken and healed. There's a great expression I want you to think about. You need to see it before you see it. You need to see it 
before you see it. What do I mean by that? The blueprint has to be laid out and the builder has to see it here before he can see it there. If I can't see it here, I can't build it. What's revival look like? I want you to start getting the practice in your conversations with God. God, what's it look like for you to pour out your spirit in our region? What's it look like for you to impact a region for Jesus Christ? You need to see it before you see it. Michelangelo said every block of stone has a statue in it. He was talking about when he was gonna carve out the angel Gabriel. Every block of stone has a statue inside it and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. I saw the angel in the marble in my head and I carved it, carved until I set him free. Isn't that good? For Michelangelo, the blueprint was already there inside the hunk of stone whether by divine providence or his own imagination. But here's the question I have for you. What does God see in the marble of your life that he wants to set free? And, and uh, in the lives of those you're praying for, what does God see in the marble of Berks County? What does he see in the city of Reading? What does he see in Shillington? And what does he see in all the surrounding towns? I don't even know their names, but you do. And if you walk up to them and you see the hardness of the city, yeah, you're hard right now, but God has a vision and I'm gonna carve through my prayers and I'm gonna persevere when the devil comes and says, we're at 200 feet in the region. Because right, right, it's one thing for me to get excited today and you start drilling in your region. It's a whole nother thing three months from now, a year from now, to go, we're at 200 feet, we found no water. Can you say, keep drilling, there's water there. There's water for my life. There's water for my children. There's water for my family. There's water for my region. There's water for, water for this nation. Are you following me? Can I just say, be careful how you speak about stuff. Like, don't pray for something and then curse it. Like I didn't, I claimed 39 gallons a minute right here. I didn't start going with all doubt and unbelief. Ah, oh, I bet there's not water there. I'm praying for my son to, to live for you. Lord, I ask you to bless him and pour out your spirit. Lord, I confess, I see his destiny. I call it his destiny. He does something stupid. I'm like, that kid is just gonna, he's messing up his life. Don't do that. Say, speak the truth. The devil's trying to get him, but God's got a better plan. God's got a better blueprint for his life. And then number three, persevere in faith and prayer. And the question you want to ask for this is when you're tempted to give up, what will happen if you don't give up? When Elijah was given a promise, like a lot of faith people, I get this, I was in this culture, you just pray for it once, believe it, and you keep believing it. That is not biblical. Elijah should tell you the story right there. Elijah gets a promise from God. A three-year drought is going to end and the famine with it. He says to King Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He prophesies it. Like, if you already heard, you're Elijah. I mean, you don't have problems hearing God, okay? He called down fire on people. Let's just remember who this guy is. So anyway, he, he's, he's hardcore. He hears God. Elijah says, I hear the sound of the abundance uh, of rain. And then he goes and prays seven times until he sees it come to manifest. Like, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to become a culture 
of, of at least two things. First, preaching the gospel, or first prayer, excuse me, be a culture of prayer and persevering prayer. And believe that every day you're doing that, you're pounding the concrete of your region, breaking it open, okay? Until you see it. Elijah stopped praying when he finally saw a small sign that it was happening. Then he began to run because he knew a storm. He believed God and the storm was coming. I, I, I think that's important. I think we can uh, hear something, okay, well, God's gonna do it. And you just kind of hope and hope and hope. But you don't partner with God. Listen, God wants relationship and he wants partnership if you're gonna see it happen, okay? So, I wanna finish with this. Um, do you have somebody who comes, how do you do this, Vern? Does somebody play up here? Do you guys just, is your worship team come up or what happens? All right, I'll invite, invite, that, invite that person up. God has a plan for your life, your family, your city, and nation. Listen, God has a plan for your life, city, for you personally, for your family your city, your nation, so does the devil. And I guess I wonder, which one will you agree with in your life? And really, at the end of the day, only you can decide. Lydia and I were talking about, we're in a period of seeking God right now, and we're hungry for God. There's powerful things he's been doing in our heart uh, that are extraordinary in our older life. And she was saying to me this morning, what's, like, I'm concerned that when we come out of this period, like the, the, like we're fasting from media and those kind of, what, what's, how are things going to look when, when we go back to our, you know, whatever's normal? And I said, you know, the Lord's been talking about that. It's really simple. It's about a decision. We decide how it's going to be. We agree with God about his blueprint for the way we live. Have you even, like most people have never asked God, God, how do you feel about this thing that I'm taking into my eye gate? How do you think about, how do you feel about the things that are coming into my ears? The music I listen to, the talk shows that I listen to. Not many people think about this, but what would happen if you start your relationship with God there? God, hey, I just, we're praying for these wells and we wanna unstop wells. Like you, the dirt that Lydia talked about in her prayer, we wanna pull those rocks out. We wanna pull that junk out. That's where you start. Lord, show me what the dirt is that needs to come out so that I can fully follow you. No one's gonna get the end of their life and said, man, I had so much pleasure in this world. I had so much money, I had so much that, and then feel really good on the day they're about to die. Uh, last week at our church, you can watch it online, I talked about like five famous atheists and one Satanist who at the end of their life had some tragic, fearful revelations at the end of their life. Nobody has it all in this life and they gets on the doorstep of the next and says, you know, whoa, you know, that's great. Like, I want to dig out the dirt so I can be like the Apostle Paul and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Jesus Christ, the judge will give me on that day. Come on, what kind of confidence is that? I know what I talk to most people, you don't feel that way. You're not approaching heaven or thinking about your judgment seat going, I got this. Well, what if, what if you could? How about we see and agree with God? God, what does it look like? How can I have that? All right, Paul holds out what's possible. What do I got to do in alignment with you, in agreement with you, so I can have confidence before you on the day I stand before you? How many would like that? Can I invite you to stand to your feet?
There was a well in an African tribe. You can come up, Pastor Vernon. It's okay. You can stand here. There was an African tribe that uh, needed water. People, animals had died. People had died. And this missionary team from a church planting network came in and drilled a well. And they made a video documenting the whole thing for the people who invested in it. And when the water came up out of the ground, they showed these like tribal chiefs weeping as water came out of the ground. And they interviewed them. They're going through a translator. But basically this chief said, all my life I have watched people die from thirst. I've watched animals die from thirst. And I never knew that there was water under the ground. There's a region here that's dying from thirst. And there's water that we can lay hold of with Jesus. And I think there's people in this room that you're, you're thirsty for more. And Jesus said, anyone who believes in me out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And when he's at the woman at the well, he says to her, if you drink this water, you will thirst no more. I believe God wants to do some ministry here for a moment. Can I ask you just to close your eyes for a moment? And the reason I ask you to do this, give space to people around you. I want you and you and God alone to respond without the feelings of what other people are thinking or wondering what they're thinking. And I want you to ask, could you pray a simple prayer inside your heart, not out loud, but just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me through this message? Lord, I ask you to speak to each person here about their life their family, their place in your kingdom, and all the things that feel stopped up and stuck. Lord, the pleat, get everyone in touch with their thirst. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that he died on a cross for our sins, and that he rose again so that anyone believing in him would not perish but have eternal life. The perishing happens because you're separated from God for eternity. The lake of fire is just a consequence. The real pain isn't the fire. The real pain is no presence of God ever and the sense of darkness over you. And so Jesus knows that and comes. And as we sang in these precious songs, he gave his life so that it doesn't have to be. So you could be washed. You could be clean. He pays for it. He adopts you into the family of God. He gives you his Holy Spirit. And then he begins to teach you his ways. God never expects perfection from us. He expects relationship and pursuit the pursuit of holiness through the, through the grace of God. And your grace, church, and I think there's some grace that God wants to pour out here today on some lives. And I'm just wondering, if you're here today and you're hearing this, you know, some people go to church their whole life and they've never really had a transactional moment with the Lord where they make a covenant with Him. But the Bible calls this a new covenant. You're making a covenant like a man and a woman make in a marriage. Keith Green said so well one time, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to Burger King makes you a hamburger, right? It's not, it's not showing up that converts you. It's covenant that converts you. And it's covenant that makes the transaction. And I wonder if there's some people here today, you said, I've gone to church, but I've, or, or maybe you haven't, maybe you just we were brought here with a friend today. I've gone to church, but I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. And you want to do that today. If that's you, you can believe that Jesus died for you, rose again. You can call him Lord of your life and invite him to take the reins. He will save you. He will forgive you. He'll do all the things I said. And you want that today. If that's you, could I ask you to raise your hand? I won't call you up and embarrass you. I'm just asking you to raise your hand. I see a few out there. Great. Anybody else? Can you put your hands down? Some of you 
I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And maybe where you're at is thirsty. You, you're not just asking for a region to get the Holy Spirit, man. Right now, you want to encounter living water inside you. Could I ask you to raise your hand high? Is that you? Hey, listen, I'm preaching to you and it's me. So you don't got to be embarrassed by that. How many of you don't know what you need? Raise your hand. <laughs> and put your hand down. How about we pray? Can you pray this with me together? Would you pray this with me? Pray this after. Let's pray together with us. Let's invite Christ, and especially you who asked Jesus, you're surrendering your life to Jesus. Could you pray this? And we say, God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me not to live according to the devil's plan and potential for my life and to live according to your plan. I want to lay hold of everything in the full potential of God. I want 10 times what I'm experiencing right now in your presence, your power, and your transformation of my life until I am conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for having us today.